Gentlemen and uh, the folks tuning in, uh, welcome to another episode of the Trigonometry Show. I'm trying something a little bit different, so you folks seeing it through Facebook land are hopefully seeing some extra graphics and bits and pieces and oh, multimedia, it's modernizing things. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd do a, a roundtable, we'll do some introductions because sometimes we forget and then someone on the podcast listening in points out it's like i got no idea who was talking because i couldn't put any um voices to name so um i'm going to go clockwise from where i'm seeing so we've got ian uh from hardy rifle hardy engineering how are you ian yep can i bloody good thanks i think your powder stocks are looking lower than last time i actually spoke to you over your shoulder i swear they're getting those shelves are starting to look empty i've taken them out of view and had them away because <laughs> <laughs> You're getting threats. <laughs> uh, and then we've got David from uh, editor of Rod and Rifle and, uh, well, Howard Let Loose, head of Three Power Major, um, he who uh, barks the commands. How are you, bro? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks for the invite and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. So I'm just, when did the mo turned up? I haven't seen your face for a little while. So, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Uh, like a lot of you, like a lot of outdoors people and hunting people, I go a bit crazy over lockdowns. If I can't get outside, I go nuts. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought, yeah, I'm going to shave the beard. So I went for the tash and uh, instantly regretted it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's done. It's What's done is done now. And uh, my chubby cheeks are out for everyone to see. But how did you find it, Kerry? Because you, you, I remember you dabbled with shaving the beard. <laughs> is this an answer for you or what yeah no i did this there's still a video up of me where i actually cut it all off shaved it all off and i don't instantly regret it you know what was funny i shaved it all off and actually did it at the end of the video i looked at it and i saw my father in the mirror staring back at me because he had he had a mow for a while but hadn't had a beard and i shaved it all off like holy hell it's my old man looking straight back at me so which is all that's all good you know it's it, that would make sense um but yeah, my little girls uh, for a long time were like, "Dad, are you going to grow your beard back?" Basically, so it's like, "All right, I, you know." So I, I don't know whether it'll get any longer, whether I go back to the length it was, or, but I don't have a chin, so I'm just like, that's why I had a beard. I don't have a chin, so it just hides that. So, you know, that's a, that's pretty much it. So yeah, so that's that's my story. And uh, Jeff from the gun rack down there as well, who's um, still struggling with intermittent uh, internet in Pukekohe, apparently. Yeah, oh, the reloading room is worse. It's downstairs. Did you just throw to me before, like, just as my internet cut out? I was about to, but then I okay. then we rambled about my beard for a while. So, um, yeah, how are you as well? Long time no see. Yeah, yeah, all right. It's, um, yeah, struggles are level four or level three now in Auckland. Just, yeah, keen to get out. Yeah. But otherwise, good. Kids keeping me busy, work keeping me busy, not enough shooting. Same Fair one. enough. So um, we have got um, Taranaki boys have got a 22 shoot this weekend, don't they? Who's yeah. heading to that, Ian? Getting to that one? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. David, are you working? Uh, not doing that one, but I'm, I'm running a hunting course over that weekend. And then the, I'm shooting the PRS in November in Nelson. Ah, there we go. Oh. That's all good. That's all good. Yeah, we won't be going very far. Um, 
All right, lads uh, listening in, we should have sound coming through now as well. So that's right. You get my introduction later. Fantastic. Um, no, that's cool. All right. Um, so, yeah, I thought I would um, try and plan ahead and start setting a few more kind of subjects and bits and pieces and um, keep things nice and, um, well, I don't know, focused, as focused as these shows ever get. So tonight we're talking about reticles. Um, I had a good chat for our over on Precision Shooter for the members only, like a QA. and um, had a good chat with some of the lads there over the weekend um, about reticles. And in my case, it was talking a lot about a particular reticle um, that I got on my new Minox THLR reticle. And people were basically, well, yeah, they're quizzing me why I'd gone with it. So I'm sure we'll talk a bit, a bit about that as well. But I thought we would start just with some generalities um, and then kind of talk about specific, you know, favorites or reticles we like or what we're using these days as well. So, um, you know, we've got a mix here of competition, of hunting as well. And I don't know, I'm kind of interested. I think most of us probably when we started, it would have been a plex or a plex or maybe a plex was probably BDC, mate. Was that or a BDC? Yeah, true. Yeah. The BDCs um, or a German? Was it the four P? The post? Whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. And then the old old school mill dots. Yeah, old school mill dots. Old mill dot. Yeah, had a few of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess to because I know it's going to come in, which we say a lot. Uh, it really depends on what you are using, you know, at four as to what your preference is going to be, because we can kind of, you know, describe our perfect scope and then someone will go, but what about for this use? And it'll be slightly different. So um, people listening in and us, yeah, we just need to make sure we're framing it with what we're using it for. So um, how has everybody's preference for reticles have they noticed they've kind of changed? Have they gotten busier? Have they still got a preference as simple as better? Or, you know, as a starting point, a lot of people say to me, oh, that, that scope's too busy or that scope's too, too, or not busy enough. You know, you guys got a preference for a busy reticle, a quiet reticle? What's what's your initial thoughts? It's, it's the use. Sorry, you go, Ian. Off again. Me, going with me then? Yep. Yeah. Um, two reticles I use all the time, and one is the Mill XT. Obviously, I'm shooting Night Force, so. Yep. Um, um, well, I wouldn't say I'm reasonably biased, but I am biased, but I've looked through everything. But what works with me is for the competition stuff, I use the Mill XT, and my uh, all round hunting gun is uh, obviously the Mill XT is the first focal plane. I'm more around hunting gun. I'm running basically looks like a mill C, but it's on second focal plane and um, a bit cleaner for the hunting application. And obviously, you still keep your full reticle size down on two and a half power on a two and a half to 20 NX8. Yeah. And then on the um, on the comp gun and um, and one of my other, and my competition 22, I run the mill XTs on them. So I've got a question regarding the Mill XT because it's always been a, a the Night Force reticle. It's just it, there's something about them that's just slightly done my head in, and it's it's the way that their subtensions. I'm just looking at it now. Guys on Facebook will be able to see it. This the first of the subtension, the horizontal goes down, then two go up, then another one goes down, and then you've got your one mil. 
Um, did that take any getting used to? Was that sort of something you had to figure out or was it you just jumped on it? It's always just kind of, I find myself getting confused whether it's two or four or however, you know, marks have got on there. Uh, no, for whatever reason, it just gelled with me straight away because everything's in point two of a mil. Yeah. Um, and then when I look through scopes now that uh, broke them into half mils, I find it it just feels really gappy for for measuring. Um, I I agree with you on the point too. Um, I'm meaning the how the the first the first line goes down and then it goes up up and then down for eight and then it's a full line and. For, Maybe it's just my brain, but I've always just kind of looked at it and just like, could we have them all down or all up? It's like a wave. Yeah, it's like a wave. (laughs) What the hell are you talking about? You're going to have a look at the Reddit. You probably, this is what I mean. I I, I was talking about it over the the weekend with this guy, and it's just like certain reticles seem to gel or just not gel with. I, I always look at that reticle and my brain just hurts. And I'm not saying it's bad, I'm saying it's my brain that just hurts. Um, I'm with you on that. Like, there'll be reasons for it. It'll be for measuring. It'll be for quick identification on, you know, which side of the half a mil you're on or whatever. But yeah, yeah, to me, it, it just it makes me think about the reticle too much. Yeah. Whereas other other reticles, the same thing. I, I probably use it. People like why is the THLR one I've got, which um, is a is a very um, if I bring it up here, it is a very busy reticle and that there's heaps of stuff on it that if you initially look at it and don't know what the subtensions actually are it's just like what the hell is this all meant to be um but i just find the same thing with the 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 night force now i've got no doubt that if you use it you'll get used to it that's that's not what i'm you know i'm not saying it's not workable it's just uh, i'm just wondering and you've obviously never noticed it ian so it obviously doesn't now that i'm looking at it So you would you when you're running down to the to the one mil line and you've got the subtensions going off either side of the vertical post, you mean? On the wind, on the horizontal for the windage. The first yeah. the point two goes down, then point six and uh point four and point six go up, and then point oh, eight yeah. goes down, and then there's a one. Yeah. Um like I say, for some reason that has always tripped my brain up. I don't know, <laughs> I I just I just look at it, ah, just it just freezes. So hence. For me, I've never really gravitated towards them because of that little, that just that little factor. So, but on saying that, then I went and bought a scope that I had to wait for like two, three years for because I wanted a particular reticle and I'm still trying to yep. get my head around it. So don't take my advice. I apparently oh, no, no, make weird saying, decisions yeah. anyway. That's funny because I'd never actually noticed that. All <laughs> I, I can see is point twos when I'm, when I'm working with it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, I've broken you now. Now, next time, I, I got a. I got an Athlon that had a, a similar reticle with the wavy stadia, and it's on Cassie's gun now. Yeah, I, it, it's just something I've always noticed. Yeah. So, but going back to a point, um, maybe just talking about the um, the the evolution, because originally, and some scopes still have it, but I mean, originally the, we had mill dots, which were, what was the mill dot was each one was 0.5 or one full, you know, what was the, I'm trying uh, to remember. It was a it was a bit of a hash up because they were MOA scopes with a mil dot reticle in them. Yeah, yeah. And each dot was a mil. Did you have yeah. did you have half mils? You didn't have point well, five. Well, it wasn't it the mil, the space between the dots was a mil, and then the dots themselves were something funny. I'm pretty okay. yeah. 
But the point being, we used to have the, the subtensions, I think as we've gotten more precise or more finicky with our shooting, have gone from like a mil to some will get that half mil, some are now getting down to that point two. I think point two for a lot of scopes now is pretty much what, what people are kind of going for. Anyone prefer more? Anyone still preferring a 0.5 or a, a one mil or? No, 0.2 suits me. Yeah, yeah. okay. And 0.5 now seems really gappy when it looks for a 0.5 scope. Yeah, yeah, well, what what the hell am I measuring? That's point, yeah. you know, 0.5 exactly. Yeah, my, my hold's 1.3 and I'm like, oh, am I halfway between there and there or I'm just a bit below that? It just, yeah, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't feel right. David, busy scopes, simple scopes? Uh, from a hunter's perspective, I mean, I yield to, to all three of you really on the competition side of things. I'm very new in the, in the competition shooting side. So, so for hunting scopes, simple holdover reticles. If you can get something that you're zero to 100 and your first and second uh, holdover lines are two and 300, and there's lots of standard scopes that'll do that yeah. now. Even your even economy mid-range scopes are really getting their act together in terms of holdover. Mm. Um, and so that's what I would lean to towards um, for the hunting application. And the reason I like those simple scopes is they're just super fast. There's, there's, there's no faster way to get onto a, in a hunting application, getting onto an animal, than doing a quick range, lining it up with the reticles, which you're which you familiar with, lining up with the, the line or the stadia or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and getting your shot away once you're once you're happy with your wind. Um, so for hunting, you want it relatively simple. And I think a lot of the competition guys, when they have a simpler reticle like that, and as Ian was saying, half a half a mil gaps with the holdovers when you're in that hunting situation, they never line up. You know, you want it to be exactly two hundred meters and exactly three. It's always going to be a conglomerate of popular calibers, so it's hmm. never going to line up perfectly. But you know, I've had scopes that have lined up perfectly two, three, four, five hundred meters, and then some that are two hundred and twenty-three meters, and then such and such. Or the American scopes use yards, and you've got a a, a laser rangefinder in meters that won't that only does meters or that it kind of thing. Yeah. So from my perspective, mate, hunting scopes simple as, and then for your um, for your competition stuff, yeah, I yield to to whatever Ian and and uh, mm. and Jeff they. I think the I think the thing is as well is distance is the big thing because if my bush rig, the last thing I need is a Christmas tree on it because you're right I'm not going to be um, well I'm not going to use it basically I mean that's that's the thing like 50 meters 100 meters even out to 200 is 200 yeah you aim a little bit higher on that shoulder you know you're not not that worried about it I what is interesting and this is the thing see I don't one I haven't been hunting for a lot and two I don't despite what people might think I don't really do the long range hunting thing either and don't have much inclination to, I can see the potential benefit of starting to have those, the scopes, which are now sort of a hybrid. They're, they're, they're not a full on Christmas tree of all the information, but like the, the Leopold windplex where they do have wind holds onto it as well. Um, the only challenge I then have with those, and I do it every time I jump onto a, a second focal plane scope, is I forget that the reticle doesn't scale when you zoom in and out. And for those people listening in, second, fo second focal plane basically means the reticle, correct my terminology, lads, but the, essentially the reticle is in the second focal plane, which means when you zoom in and out, the reticle doesn't get bigger or smaller. It stays the same size. 
which means that when you're zooming in and out and using a reticle that's meant to be calibrated to a particular measurement, well, it's only probably in that proper measurement or scale at normally full zoom. The odd scope does it like half or a weird thing, but mostly full zoom. And if you're not in full zoom, then what you thought was maybe, say, 200 meters on your BDC does not actually equate to 200 meters. It can equate to something different. Um, and I've done that with Winplex or with scopes, which have a <coughs> something in there. And I've forgotten it was a second focal plane because I'm so used to my first focal plane, which scales as you zoom in and out, that you just point, shoot, go to correct. And you're like, what the hell happened there? And then you're like, oh, dumbass, I'm not shooting my, my comp rifle anymore. I, th- I think it's I mean, like you said. It, it's a it's a mode of thinking, um, and if you shoot more competition than hunting, it will take a bit of adjustment to do. So hopefully you get out in zero and stuff before you go for a hunt. Um, but I find it actually very versatile to have the second focal plane with the BDC. It's not the same. I'm not dialing up to an exact and, and what have you. But I can go my six point five by fifty five on the bottom of the BDC is five hundred and three meters. Um, and if I change it to a different magnification, it's something else. Um, and all I have to do is have it in my Strelock app and um, just change the magnification setting and it will tell me what each of my holdovers are and I can get out to just about anything. And mm. if you don't have time to get out your app um, and change your magnification and muck around, then chances are it's within 200 meters and you're going to point and shoot or hold over a little. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. And I, I, I think... A lot of people using holdover with second focal plane don't understand that, that if they do tweak the magnification, you can actually have a positive effect, not a negative effect. Yeah. If, mm. you, if you are sitting on 300, you want you want that third line to line up, the, 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 the second line down to line up with 300 metres, but it's, you know, not quite. Sometimes a tweak of magnification will bring everything into line. Obviously, yeah. you're going to have slightly less magnification, but not really enough to make a a huge difference on your shooting as far as as far as I'm concerned. So it's a really yeah. good trick, isn't it? Yeah, the, the easy way to think about it, if you're trying to figure out which way magnification goes, is you will gain more distance by decreasing your magnification. We'll do the opposite of what you want. But generally speaking, in those hunting scenarios, you, you're not shooting out super, super far. It's not going to have that much of a detrimental mm-hmm. effect, like you said. Yeah, but the point is, if you're using your bottom strata, which is 500 and something meters, and you need more, then you probably have the time to get, as you've said, get your Strelok out and sit there and think through the process as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just that that case of those, um, yeah, those faster shots where you're going to be just holding on anyway. It doesn't seem to be so much of that concern. But yeah, it's. I, I think the one. The one thing I've always noticed has been that, um, yeah, like that Leopold, the Winplex, where there's nothing on the elevation you're going to be dialing because you're probably using it with their, their Leopold turrets that you're dialing the meterage, um, but you want something to maybe allow for a little bit of wind. Um, um, another thing, Kerry, along those lines that, that might help people listening, if they've got, this is more for your standard hunting scopes and you, you have your two or three stadias, which, probably for most of the reticles are going to go five, 600 metres top, somewhere somewhere around there. If they have, if they don't want to muck around with magnification and that sort of thing, if they know for the kind of hunting or shooting they're doing, they're going to take a lot of sort of open country, three, 400 metre shots. They can actually do whatever testing they want to do on their load, but then actually zero that line at 300. 
just use that line, zero it on 300. And then if it's not quite on at 200, that's great because 200 is a lot easier as you get closer. So it's not as important. But if that second or third stadia, 400 meters, whatever it is, if that's the most important distance, just zero it on that distance and then and then go back and prove whatever the other other lines are. It makes things a lot easier. Yeah. Um, I know for, for seeker hunting, you do take a lot of two, 300 meters. So always make sure that my 300 meter um, stadia is, is, is spot on. Yep. Yeah. And, and you can even do that with your basic duplex or fourplex reticle. So just because someone's got a super basic scope doesn't mean they can't do that. They can even make themselves up a chart with uh, magnification seven is 300 meters, you know, or whatever. Well, that's the thing. I, I encourage guys, and this is not this is not stuff that you're meant to be figuring out in the field. This is not stuff that you want to be trying to go through your head while there is an animal in front of you. There's enough stuff going through your head at that point. But But yeah, I encourage guys now that you've got so many ballistic apps free, paid, whatever your flavor is, you can sit down with a cup of tea or coffee or a beer or whatever, bit of paper and your app and figure, just have a play, figure some stuff out, see what your scope does when you zoom in, zoom out and adjust bits and pieces. And it it moves it from being field, figuring the stuff out in the field into admin stuff that you can do before you ever head out there. And it's it's just about learning your tools and understanding what that equipment does. And and as I harp on about, the more efficient and understanding you are with the tools, then the more effective and efficient you are as a hunter and a safer you are because you're not dicking around trying to figure out all this stuff works with a loaded firearm in your hands and, and pressure going on. You know, you can just do it do it on a table with a bit of paper in your in your ballistics app. So Yeah. Um, if anyone's mucking around with Strelock doing that, um, one of the things that I find really helpful, especially if I'm trying to get my mind ready for a hunt is change your target to the shape of a deer. So they've got white-tailed deer, fallow deer, red deer, or ipsic targets or, or whatever, all sorts of different things. Um, but just to mentally go through, okay, my gun does this. If I think it's a five-mile-an-hour wind, I can actually just hold a tiny bit here or, or whatever. Um, but to see it over the shape of an animal with the size of a kill zone on it, um, yeah. I, I think it puts your mind at ease. That you don't need to think so much. It's fairly simple stuff. You just need to... Yeah, I know, getting a rhythm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes down to experience too, you know what I mean? Um, the more you do it, the more you test it. And like now my my flip cap has out to 600 metres inside the flip cap, so I'll just range. It's 400, dial to 400, it's really quick. And anything below nice. 60, I'm going into my app for, because I do a lot of long-range hunting, so, but that's with years of shooting on the range, shooting steel out to a thousand meters and just, you know, you just get so used to it. I like it to look like my comp scope. So everything looks the same. Um, when that, when that NX8 of mine's on 20 power, everything's as per the um, hash marks anyway. Mm-hmm. But even if it's not, it doesn't matter if you miss with the wind by, you know, just in front of a deer's brisket or whatever, you can see where they're splashed. You don't, you don't need to know if that's a two-tenths or a four-tenths. You just, you can see where that correction is and hold it off whatever magnification, magnification you're on anyway. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very good point as well because those, that, that if you've got a reticle which has got measurements in it, you're right. It may not correlate specifically to 0.2 or 0.5 or 1 mil exactly at the zoom you've got, but that really doesn't matter if you've got 
four marks, four marks over to the left will hold four marks the other way and it still will equate to a correct the correction. Yeah. You can just use it as a ruler. Don't worry about what exactly those numbers mean. It's just like four marks. Oh, no, it's seven marks. Oh, I need to come seven over and three high. Well, whatever it is, just do that, you know? Um, and, yeah, and that's that's another important plan. Don't be trying to figure out whether that was two or four or six mil. It was four hash marks, move them over and press the trigger again before the thing moves and everything changes. So, Have you guys had any discrepancies in the subtensions on any reticles? You don't have to name and shame, but I'm just thinking maybe <laughs> if you're dialing and you, you want the, um, you know, the stadia to line up exactly as you would hope they would, but sometimes that's not always the case and it can create a little bit of doubt in your mind or... Yeah. Uh, I I, I, I wouldn't say it's name specific. I would say it's price specific. There's certain cheap scopes I've had and even we'll call them middle of the range scopes, which, you know, but yeah, I I would be pretty surprised not to say it'd be a manufacturing error if the high end ones were, whereas I think some of the lower ones, even right down to, because I zero a lot of rifles. So even the clicks where you're like, okay, I need to come up basically three quarter of an MOA or 0.4 mil, some of the cheaper scopes do not do that. They just don't. And they they probably they probably should, that you kind of go, well, they should. But like the high-end scopes, generally you measure, often measure through the reticle at 100, dial up what you think you're going to dial, and the bullet pretty much moves where you think it should. Um, but yeah, I've, I've certainly had quite a few different scopes of cheaper models where you're just like, I know the clicks don't move, so the subtensions I probably think would maybe be about the same, you know? Um, I haven't come across one. I think Sam, Sam, whose son was on, he was talking about it. He had a scope recently that was doing some pretty wonky stuff, but we're still trying to figure out whether that was what he was doing, whether it was the target that I had printed that might have mightn't have had the, you know, the the print might have been quite done right because I had a calibration target, and of course he started explaining the issues, and I'm immediately going, well, have I printed it, or has the printer printed it to the wrong scale? So what he thinks is 0.5 mil is not 0.5 mil. It's actually 0.6 on the top. You know, so you're you're trying to figure out what's going on. But um, wasn't he talking about dialing windage was giving him a change in elevation as he went? Something like yeah, that. I, I, there was something yeah. really weird going on. That sounds, scope, but as he dialed to the left of the windage, the, he reckoned the thing was yeah. curving up like this. So I don't, I don't know. We hadn't got to the bottom of that, but but like uh, a lot of scopes only have have like a little detent on a diagonal. And all you're doing with your windage and, and um, your elevation and windage turrets is pushing it against that that spring. Mm. Um, and yeah, with with cheap scopes or or maybe something has just not been manufactured properly on a nice expensive scope that usually would have, um, yeah, it's just going to slip. Um, or, or like if you've had a cheap scope, you you may have experienced where you've been all the way over on elevation, and all of a sudden your windage does nothing. Um, you know, weird stuff like that. Yeah. And that, that will be often because what we're happening, we're moving around the reticle or the mechanics inside this tube, right? So it's physically can only go so far. And if you if it's a round tube with some of them, if they let you push the windage all the way over into this side of the scope and then you're trying to go up or down, you lose potentially elevation. Yeah. Whereas some of the higher end scopes, they limit you. You can't go all the way out here. They will actually stop you so you still get your full elevation in a box rather than out into this this corner and pushing around and you dial back into the center and then you can dial um yeah it's it's one of those things it's um 
you occasionally has the scope he was talking about had been uh there'd been rumors or i'd heard reports earlier of issues with things going on anyway so it, it just is what it is but no i i haven't noticed a, like with my the night forces the 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 upper you know the razor vortex because it even within a scope brand there is the cheap end and then there is the higher end end you know um yeah you you, you get what you pay for so mm. yeah I think the biggest one that still gets me is when you get one of the yeah the mill dot or something where it's it's the reticles and mills and you're still dialing MOA that still trips me up. Yeah, they still occasionally come through and you're like, what the hell's going on here? But you know, so so has anyone um, uh, Dirk? I think is there in the comments. He flicked over a a, a link to Leopold's new reticle. Um, the yeah. I'm going to go to the model of it now. And it is the um, PR2 reticle. Um, so Leopold, being Leopold, or just, uh, you know, apparently all the new competition shooters are asking for this. They've gone back to 0.25 mil. Well, sorry, they've they've gone to 0.25 mil subtensions. So... You've got a subtension that goes down at 0.25 mil, one that goes up at 0.5, one that goes down at 0.75, and then a full line at 0.5. Oh, hang on. So we're going 0.25, Oh, Christ. Sorry, I'm just looking at it now and seeing what the... It's actually... another wavy one. Is well, it cool? Uh, it is the PR2 reticle. So I see what they're doing. They've got... On the upper line, they've got 0 0.25, 0 0.5, 0 0.75, 1 mil. Oh no, they're not. Sorry. This is this is what this is this goes back to my thought of, of reticles getting complicated where I'm looking at it and going, I actually need to get the manual out to figure out what the hell's going on here. Sorry, the um I take it back. The um subtensions are 0 0.25, um, 0 0.5, 0 0.75, and 1 mil. So instead of being 0.2, it's a 0.25 subtension. Hmm. Yeah, you, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's it's an American fraction thing. Like they think in fractions. Could be. Yeah, yeah actually. Yeah. And, and you know, we're used to base ten. So, um, actually, I hadn't. I honestly hadn't thought of it, but you, you've probably just nailed it right there. They're still thinking in, in half and quarter and three quarter inch and in my way. I mean, what gets me, we're back to the mill MOA is that I can't measure something as 0.2 and go, well, I can click 0.2. Now I'm measuring something as 0.25 and now I've got to go, well, does that mean I click to 0.2 or 0.3 if I want to do the adjustment for it? It just, mm. I don't know. I, I hadn't seen it to now. It's apparently the new hotness. So, um, yeah, what do you guys think about, um, the actual crosshairs themselves and the reticles? Cause, uh, you know, there was actually one that came out. I think it was uh, Cytron actually had a mill dot as the actual crosshair in the center, and I didn't like that at all. And then I tried the, I think it was one of the Vortex Vipers, and that actually had a recess, so the, the actual center of the crosshair was clear, so you yeah. could see through it. And, yeah. and I actually didn't think I would like that, but I ended up loving it. So, um, you know, I guess you've got finer crosshairs and, uh, you know, which – in low light, maybe that's a, that's a consideration as well. But what, what do you guys reckon about the crosshair design itself? Yeah, the floating dot, I mean, is um, 
There's a lot of floating dot stuff in the night for us and all the mill range. And that's what we're used to. There's a you know, little wee floating dot in the centre mm. and then clear space around it. And then you start at your point twos. Um, I've had some of those old Leopold Mark IV tacticals that have the little wee clear piece in the centre of the reticle. That was cool too. I, yep, I like them. But um, once again, you know, I'm so used to a floating dot now, it's just don't even notice it. You just put the dot where you want to go and there's enough space around it, to, um, enough clear space around it to, to see around the dot. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, for, for competition use, I would go a floating dot, then a clear gap in the middle, and then lastly a, a fixed crosshair. Whereas yeah. for hunting, I'd just go a normal fixed crosshair, but it's completely different reticle and scope I'd be using. Yeah. It's one thing that still bugs me with the uh, the uh, I always get this wrong the Steiner and the Burris, um, which is the same company. They have um, the XTR and the T and the M series, and the Steiner all have the same reticle. That or you can get the SCR reticle, and that's one where it's got the little cross. It's a little cross in the middle, and it, it's still again. I'm used to that floating dot. I've I've used the ones with nothing in there, and same thing. Didn't think I'd like it. Quickly realized that yeah, all the other lines were pulling my eye into the middle anyway, so it was okay. But yeah, I, these days I think the Vortex, the EBR seven C, got me onto that dot, the floating dot, and I've just as a preference that's same thing. What I'd like. Um, I really like the idea as well of the scopes, which the, my glasses, I have um, astigmatism. So what it basically means, if I look at my glasses like straight through, if I look at, say, a red dot or any um, illuminated optic, it looks like a rugby uh, like a rugby ball that splits out diagonally. That's what the the my eyeballs basically do to it, right? So I find a lot of illumination uh, is often a pain for me, but I really like the idea of a fine little illuminated dot. You don't need to illuminate the rest of the reticle to me, but just that centered again, just to drag it in. And I've, we used to have, I think it's the fire dot and the Leopolds mm. and some of the older guys would come in looking for a scope. It would be one you'd maybe talk to them about because we're like, all right, eyesight's getting a little bit, but how about we just have this little bright red dot right in the middle that you just put on top of the animal. Not a red dot. It's not a, it's not into that territory, but just something to drag your eye. And so, I've liked that. So, but yeah, floating dot is my preference anyway. Um, that brings us to another interesting thing, which is just a design trend as well. So there's two, almost two flavors um, of it. So we, we're used to, we know the Plex, which is just your big crosshairs, right? And then the design came where we started getting the Christmas tree, which is basically the, the windage going out. So as you go more elevation, the windage, you get more elevation, you get more windage adjustments and it looks like a Christmas tree. They can get quite busy. So do you guys have a preference for that Christmas tree or do you prefer just like the, the more clear, clear just lines with your marks or the other option is like your Horace, which is now just the box down the bottom. So it's just a whole pile of information down there. Yeah, so Tremor 3 or Horace is like, doesn't really, well, I mean, it, it's a military style um, application, so it doesn't really suit what we do. Yeah. Uh, but then if you go into, say, it's, you know, obviously the Mil XT, for instance, it's busy enough, but it's not too bad. Um, and it's surprising how much you don't have to use it 
but when there is a time to use it, um, find it so much quicker than actually just holding out in space mm. on yep. a um, on a vertical centre line. Yeah, it can um, cloud some of your impacts in amongst that Christmas tree if you hit it missing low or whatever. You can lose them in there, but if it's not super busy, like what I use, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't see it to be a problem. I actually really enjoy having that bit of Christmas tree, and you can actually forget that it's there most of the time because you're shooting centre reticle if you're dialing everything and holding wind. If you're dialing elevation and holding wind. You sort of forget it's even there until you get to a stage where, say, hey, maybe it's only dial only, or you've got to speed up and just hold. Um, and all of a sudden, oh, there it is, it's all there if I want it. So but I know a lot of people don't like it, they find it too busy. I'm just looking at the um the Mill XT now, and I do like the the way that instead of it being a full-on Christmas tree at at one mil, two mil, three mil, you've still got the same amount of windage adjustment because it was something that um I heard ages ago a podcast. It was um, Frank from Snipers Hide was saying, "It's like, why do I need the Christmas tree? I want that windage adjustment right up the top in one mil, two mil, three mil elevation as well, not just when I'm starting to hold up and hold up way into the reticle. I want the windage the whole way through." But on the flip side, compared to say like the Horace or the Tremors, the lines are a lot finer. There's not, it's not as busy, so I can see it's not. It's not like you have to look through a pile of dots to actually see your target, but if you actually want to use it for an adjustment, it's it's you know it's it's workable. Um, but yeah, like you say, the tremors, the Horus, and these specialist reticles. The other thing is, I mean, they come with a a way to shoot them as well. That's the other thing is like with the speed dots. It's it's not only the reticle. It's just a there's a methodology of shooting the things and what all these extra little dots and bits and pieces mean as well as, you know, and I think that's the thing people need to be aware of. It's all very well and nice, but you're also committing to almost a particular way of shooting and a particular way of using it that goes just beyond the reticle itself, you know, with the, yeah. the that's dots. that's a good that's a good point, Kerry, because I think with the Christmas trees, like what Ian was saying, they are confusing mess if you don't understand them. But so that, yeah, you do understand them, they're very, very useful. And they're very, very quick once you take the time to get to know it really well. And it's, it's a once you understand it and you and you practice with it, it's a very useful addition. If it's yeah. just something that's on there and you don't really put the time into it and it looks a bit scary and you and you'd rather just uh, you know just dial and then hold or, or um, you know you, you you're not going to put the time into it, then it is just going to be pointless, pretty pointless to you, and it'll always be a bit confusing. Christmas trees, you have to put the time in. And uh, yeah, really understand them. And I would say um, I'd say you're bang on there. Um, but also, if, if someone's deciding on a new scope, so I just had, had a mate um, uh, send me a question about his scope uh, through the gun rack, and he was saying he, he wanted more of the straight up and down with holdovers uh, rather than the Christmas tree because he wasn't going to use the Christmas tree. Um, and I said, well, if it doesn't bug you, get the Christmas tree because you might use it later. Um, you know, if you want to shoot out a long way and have some elevation and, and windage left over in your reticle, um, it's extremely useful. And the rest of the time, you're probably not going to notice, especially if you're in first focal plane and it's you know pretty fine. It's not really going to be in your way. Well, I've had a few guys out where they've come out for a um, training session or something like that, and you start explaining to them 
you know, zeroing the rifle. They're at 100 metres, they shoot, and you kind of go, okay, can you see the bullet holes? Yes, all right, well, use your reticle. Can you tell me what? how is the offset? You've got numbers in your reticle. You have a quick look in the reticle, see the numbers, and they're like, what? I'm like, well, you've got numbers in the reticle. Can you count over and down and give me that measurement? Um, and they work through and like, okay, now dial that in your scope. Do the op- dial, that's your offset, dial in the scope. And they dial and they and they're like, pull the trigger and the bullet now is in the middle of a target. And they're like, we never realized that those numbers correlated to what's on the turret. And it, I, it's not, no fault of theirs apart from the fact that they've spent the money obviously on a scope, maybe seen these reticles and cool reticles that guys use, but never actually registered that those numbers in the reticle should, apart from mill, MLA, mill rad rigs, should correlate to the turret, meaning that if you put a, put a round on a target and you measure it and it's two mil low, well, if you hold two mil high or you dial up two mil on the top of the scope, your bullet should now be back to where it wants to be. And the best way I've, I have guys, I'll actually put them through a drill where I'll go, okay, shoot, a tar- shoot in the target, okay, well, gun zero. Now dial left two mil and up two mil. Okay, cool. Now dial left four mil. Okay, now hold down four mil on your reticle. Now hold, I'm doing quick maths in my head, but hold, you know, four left and two, whatever it is. And you you force them to do a combination of dialing and holding in the reticle. And you're like, you end up with this nice little box around the target. And you're like, you see, they actually work together. And they're like, oh, I've never done it. So that's the other thing. Yeah, it's, it's understanding what it is you've paid this money for, but then going out and when instead of just shooting 20 rounds, your 20 rounds of ammo at the next range day, actually put a couple in there, get shoot, and then go, all right, let's let's hold up two. Let's hold two left, right, and just actually use it so that you have confidence that those things line up and what they actually do in the real world. Because once you've done it a few times and you're confident that you hold two mil left and the thing goes two mil left, you're like, oh, okay, sweet, cool, we're good. Uh, and, and I would say the only information you need before that is, do you have a first focal plane scope or are you on the right magnification? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know everyone on this call has done that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And we'll probably do it again. This is the, you get the, again, you just get so, I get, I get so used to my first focal plane guns or guns with first focal plane. Cause a lot of guys or guns I'm sent to play with and shoot are first focal plane. But yeah, a lot of the ones I'm setting up, uh, normally, see, normally if it's second focal plane, it's back to a, a crosshairs. It's when you get these weird Christmas trees in a second focal plane that does my head in, but it does occasionally happen. So, the um the other point there, Kerry, I'd like to add just for the people that are probably watching, are probably you know, there's a lot of experienced guys out there probably already know this, but if anyone's out there and that they, maybe they're at that real beginner level and, and they're thinking hold over dial sort of, they, they're a little bit confused about that. If they just remember that it doesn't, if you're holding over using a, a line on the scope, all you're doing is elevating the barrel and accounting for it. And if you dial, it's the same thing. All you're yep. doing is just using the mechanical device. Just in case, I know real beginners are often confused by that, the difference yep. between you're doing exactly the same thing to, to, the, to the barrel you're just using a different method. Yeah, and it's it's exactly it. And a good scope, they will line up. That's that's the thing. Basically, you've got a a um, yeah a calibrated ruler in front of your face, and you can measure it that way and dial or hold. It's this is the beauty of it. So when when in a competition, 
you know, so in a, in a competition use, for example, you might have a, and I'm going to have to use magic numbers because my brain are just not going to, but you might have a target at two, three fifty, and five hundred. So you might decide to, you could dial your elevation at two hundred and then change to three fifty, redial five hundred, redial, or if and I'm going to have to wrap, Ian, you might know these numbers off the top of your head, Jeff, excuse me. But if you figure out, hypothetically, someone's going to pull me up. But anyway, that your first target was going to be three mil, your second was going to be four, and your third was going to be five. You could die for, dial for three mil, add another mil on. So now you have four mil total, shoot, and you're going to hit. And then add two mil on, and you've got three mil in your scope. And now you've got five mil, and you're going to hit as well. So you don't necessarily have to dial. They can work in conjunction with each other as well. And that's when stuff can get fun and stuff can get fast, you know. So, mm. and stuff can go horribly pear shaped wrong if you if you get this out. <laughs> Which actually brings, I suppose, segues into a question: Are we all are we holders here, dialers? What's do we have a preference? Is it a speed thing? Ian, preference to dial or hold for multiple targets with elevation? There you go. Specifically, too much time there. It's all about speed. Yeah. Enough time to dial, I'll dial everything. If it's um, a speed stage and it looks like the time's too tight, I'll dial the first target and then hold the rest. And I and I do it a real simple way. I just put it into my app. I just you know, you first take your first target 350, I put 350 in and then hit zero on my app. It'll go zero and then I'll put the other ranges in. It'll say 2.1 and 3.5 for the next target. So uh, and then just make sure you take that zero out when you finish that stage. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll be messed up. Um, but yep. yeah, time to dial or dial. If it's speed, I'll hold. So you're okay. So uh, to phrase it another way, I get what you. So you're dialing, say, to 350, then you're resetting your ballistic app so that you're saying that your gun is now zeroed at 350. Then that just gives you the hold over based on your first shot. Yep. So it gives yep. you a lot less hold in the scope instead of holding 350 yep. meters and then you're just going up and up and up in the scope. Yeah, hit zero at that first range and then you're holding smaller amounts. So I, I um same result, different method of getting there. All I all I was doing and I did it for a 20 at um one of Simon's last 22 shoots and the and there's a how it worked out was quite well. So I just wrote down, I, I tend to write down target A, B, C, and then not the distance, but the hold. And the other thing that sometimes happens with that is I realized when I did that, I saw a pattern because I realized that the between the first and the second target was 0.5. And then the second and the third target was 0.5 as well, additional. So I very then in my head went, yeah, again, just dial for the first one. And then I just have to come up 0 0.5, 0 0.5. It was, it was almost, and I reckon he had, because that, that would make sense for Simon, that he'd actually set the distance of the targets that they were nice and rounded for that, you know, that he just kind of knew on average, because it was a 22 LR shoot. So, that, you know, that he probably went, oh, yeah, if we figure this out and they, if they figure this out, they can come up 0 0.5, 0 0.5. And I was watching everyone else dialing and what reading their hand and trying to dial and everything. And then afterwards, the guy had done his first round and I said, you do realize that look at your data. And he, because he hadn't looked at the data, actually taken a step back and looked at the data, he didn't see that pattern. And once he saw it, he's like, yeah, that would have been quicker and easier. But it's, I think it's just a, a moment of, of taking back and having a look at it, basically. So, yeah. 
different methods, same same kind of intent speed thing. But yeah, I, have you ever played? Have have you ever played with the scopes and checked to see? Uh, do you just find that you're more accurate holding in the center versus having to hold up and hold up into the into into the actual reticle? Feels more natural. Yeah. Okay. Feels yeah. more natural to put in the center than holding up the whole time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think for me it's um, it's a question of what takes up more mental space. Um, you know, if if I've got you know, like you, I'll write down target A, B, C, D, uh, 0 0.2, 0 0.7, 1.2, 1.3, um, and I'll dial, 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 and I'll go, oh, it's 0.1, it's fine, I'll hold that. Um, but that doesn't take up a lot of mental space. Yeah. Um, whereas Ian's technique is really good, and I've done similar on occasions. But I think for me, there would be more mental math than just turning a dial. Um, and I'd rather be sure of myself than save myself a second. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's what's comfortable for the shooter at the end of the day. Well, um, this is what I find once, more and more. In, this is what I find more and more interesting. It's different methodology, and it then just relates to kind of how your, your brain is seeing and you're approaching stuff. And, and you've, you brought up a great point earlier, Jeff, with the Americans thinking still in fractions versus decimals. So yes, it probably makes more sense to think quarter, half, three quarter for them. Um, I've got I've got a five and a six-year-old that I'm homeschooling at the moment and doing basic maths. And it's just interesting seeing different ways of adding things together that makes more sense to them versus how I would do it because of a lifetime of doing it a different way where they, they don't have that pathway. So we're just like, well, this is quicker for me. I'm doing it this way, Dad. Stop telling me how to do it. I'm like, oh, whatever. So yeah, I just find it interesting. There's a lot of there's a lot of almost same paths to the same result, and it's just a case of finding the one that just seems to gel the quickest for you, yeah. while still uh, being open to people who have been doing it for a long time and listening to them because there may be better ways. Hundred percent. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and like so, in um, Ian's method there of um, you know, dialing and then zeroing, whereas I would just go dial my first one and mentally hold in my head the holds for the next one. Yeah. Um, but whereas if you've mechanically done it, again, you've taken out that extra bit of thinking. So kind of back to what I was talking about before. So yeah, completely different way to approach the same thing, pick up a new trick. And I think also approaching each stage or, or each challenge or in whatever type of shooting you're doing um, and thinking about how you might do the math, how you might do the physical actual dialing um, for that particular stage instead of just going, I always dial or I mm. always hold. So like Simon's long and fast on a 22 shoot, um, you can spend a shit ton of time dialing, um, you know, like a rotation in a bit or whatever, um, whereas you can just dial for your far one and then just change your parallax when you come back for your new one and hold under. Um, but yeah. holding under is so weird, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, approaching it with a, a completely open mindset to what you might do. Mm. Um, yeah, it was interesting as well because the long and far with it, because what his stage he had with the tires it is, uh, in it as well, and you had to nominate whether you were going to shoot long or far. And I could see the guys who were dialing had to shoot in a particular order. For me, I knew it was one or up or down. So it was, it was almost like, oh, I'm going to shoot short again or I'm going to shoot long again. It didn't really matter. I didn't have that extra dial in between the two. Worked for me on the day anyway, but. Mm. Um, other times it goes pear shaped. Yeah, being, um, being efficient when you when you choose the dial as well. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Alan's just asked a question. Well, he's asked two, and I'm going to get around to his first one second, actually, because it's kind of where we're going to end up. Um, uh, but basically, his question is, what happens when you run out of clicks? Is it bad for the reticle if you take it to the limit? Um, the re- By my thinking, the reticle itself shouldn't make any difference because it's it's printed. It doesn't change. The the Hang on, I've actually just thought about that. You may, if you're holding way out on the reticle in some of the cheaper scopes, you may be coming into optical weirdness. Maybe it's a potential on it, you know, because if, if guys you know cameras and stuff like that, as they get further out, they can start turning into uh, there's a little bit of funkiness going on. So yes, potentially the reticle all the way out is doing some oddball stuff again. I'd like to think we're not seeing it in the higher end scopes, but certainly with cheaper ones, cheaper glass. Yeah, probably it is. Um, I know if you're dialing all the way, say, to the the right or left for windage, then you, again, as I said earlier, you might get less elevation up or down because you're out that far and the clicks may, it might get a little bit funky. I mean, scopes, again, it's going to be a pricing. Cheaper scopes, yeah, I reckon they'll get, get kind of funky. Higher end scopes, ironically, I think are probably limited so they can't get out there. It's not to say they wouldn't do the same thing if they could get out that far, but they actually put mechanisms in it to keep it closer in a sweet spot and it's got a bigger sweet spot. Does that make sense? Did I just confuse myself and everyone? Anyone? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I think also with the top end, you pay any sort of premium money. A lot of what you're paying for is, is the, the the lenses themselves, the the quality of getting the imperfections out, the time it takes them to manufacture that glass to that high quality, mm. all the way out to the edges is, is what is necessary, and that, and that you know improves so many things as we know with optics. Yeah. But yeah, and then, then then obviously you go to the cheaper mid-level scopes, yeah. uh, turrets. They save money on turrets. They'll save money on glass as well. So you will find the edges of those glass they the manufacturing processes are not going to be as refined. And, and so on those edges of the lenses, you will get a lot of imperfections and, mm. and um, yeah, on some of them, some sort of craziness. Mm. And I think an easy way to think about adjusting a reticle is you've got um, a, a small circle inside of a big circle and you're pushing the small circle around. So if you hold like a, a pen in a piece of pipe, you're, you're pushing it around. Um, and if that, is a glass etched reticle, which most things are now, because it's becoming more and more affordable to use better and better technology. Um, you're probably not going to get that much compression of a piece of glass to the point where the reticle's going to um, change its subtensions to any meaningful degree. Um, however, if you've got a 1960s Tasco with wire reticle in it, then yeah, it, it may compress and, and do some weird stuff if you're right out on your elevation windage. But if anyone out there is still using a Tesco and shooting out to 1K and finding the reticle is compressing and it's letting them down, please let us know. <laughs> Good work. Uh, um, yeah, but uh, that's the thing. I, I think, and there's a, again, there's that combination of things. Guys who are shooting a really long way as well, maybe instead of holding all of it in their reticle, may dial a whack and then hold a little bit more as well. You know, you can do stuff like that. And, you know, I know guys who will, um, they're trying to get every bit out of their scope and they will dial 10, 20 or a round number so that they're still working with numbers that aren't getting confusing. I mean, that's one other thing to be aware of. It's easier on your brain if you dial, say your scope dials hypothetically to 12 mil, which would be a very small one. But anyway, 
you're better to almost dial to 10 because now your number's still kind of, it's 10 plus a number in your reticle. You're not adding an extra two, but if, if you need the distance, you can do it, you know? Again, I'm always just trying to find ways that make my life and my brain not have to work so hard. Got enough stuff going on in it already. And we're, you know, we're doing quite a bit of that um, ELR stuff at the moment. Yeah. Anthony and I are doing the ELR stuff. So when you're talking that 1,600 metres and then into the 2K, you know, we can dial 20 mils and it, maybe mm. it's 23 mils to 1,600 metres or whatever, have your zero set up. And you'll just dial the 20 and hold the three if you're right at the top of the dial of the elevation. Even though the dial just goes and stops clean, you know, some of the cheaper scopes, it gets all mushy in the last yep. part mm. of the dial. It feels really weird. It doesn't feel good to dial the scope all the way till it stops. So it's quite good to stop it just a little bit back. So, yeah, dial close to your maximum at a round number and then hold the difference when you're into that real ELR stuff or you're shooting a 1,000 metres with a smaller calibre and you've got a, you know, you need 20-odd mils. Mm. Yeah, and, and if anyone does ever want to shoot a long way, that Christmas tree stuff is is so helpful because when you're down that um, three mil in your reticle and you've got yeah. no windage at a mile, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're holding in space, right? Well, and that yeah. was the thing. And for a long time, guys were saying that's where the, the second focal planes were useful as well because we could dial out a little bit and get that extra elevation, we'll say, out of the reticle. But I would think now a lot of the scopes that are coming through, there are scopes coming through which has got so like 20 mil of elevation in there anyway. So it's becoming more the ability, you know, you can still go second focal plane, uh, sorry, a first focal plane, but you can get first focal planes with so much elevation in these things now anyway that you can damn near dial all the way and not have to be also figuring out i'm zooming out and all these things what's the what is what's the max dial on a, a night force these days is it 20 mil 20 something mil uh it's it's close to it's closer to 30 yeah okay so yeah. you know I, if you're playing the elr game there is the there is a the these scopes out there now that that lean themselves quite nicely towards it as well. So I don't play that game. I'm still hitting targets at six, 700 and I'm happy there. <laughs> what, what, um, as a relating to the ELR as well, and it's sort of away from the reticles, what zoom are you using on those? Are you dialed all the way up to 30 plus as much zoom as you can get or not so much? It comes case? down to what the atmospherics allow you to do. Yeah. It's surprising, and most of the time you're around 20. Yeah. And we've got, well, 35 in my ATAC and 32 in my NX8, but you find that there's only very few occasions you can run up around that, close to that 30, because the atmosphere is just... Yeah, you're just seeing, you're seeing zoomed, zoomed into all the mush and the mirage yeah. and the heat and yeah. everything, vapour mm. and the whole lot, which... Yeah, you're people and people grab these super zooms and don't realize that. But if you've got a spotting scope on a really hot day, crank it all the way up and see what happens as well. And now imagine that in a in a scope where you're trying to aim through the thing as well, and you suddenly go, Oh, yeah, no, that 3032 may not be useful on all but the clearest of days. When it's clear and you can do that though, it is it is pretty yeah. mighty, but that's yeah. more often not. So yeah. Um Okay, so Alan's asked a question, which is kind of where we're heading towards. Um, 
it's going to double banger. He said, which scope and reticle would you put on every gun if you could? And then I'm also going to fold that into it as well. Is there a scope and reticle combination that could do it all for you? Or is it always still going to be the case of, you know, horses for courses? Because for me, I think a 50 meter bush gun is still always going to be different to my comp guns. Although personally, and it's a this is a weight thing for me, I would like and I intend to build a crossover mid-range, mid to long-range comp and hunting gun and my my Minox will just live on it and I'll use it for everything. Um, the, the reticle design in that though has been Thomas who designed it, has done it. So when you zoom in, it is, it's a very busy reticle and there's speed stuff and everything. It's back to that that idea of a Horus or a, the tremor, there's a way of shooting it that comes with it. But when you zoom it back out, it basically becomes one of those German, you said at the beginning, is it the P4? I always forget the post, two two horizontal, one vertical. Oh, there's like T post type things. Yeah. So yeah. But it's designed. So as you zoom out and you're uh, zoomed all the way out, it looks just like it's basically a, a T post basic, basic hunting reticle. It's very cool. And that just draws you to the middle. And the idea is quick acquisition, put it over the thing, pull the trigger. But if you zoom into it, there's a hell of a lot of stuff going on. So for me, that would work, but it's a really heavy scope. So wouldn't be a mountain gun. Wouldn't possibly be my bush basher, but, you know. I think, so So we're talking one scope, hunting, and comps, everything. <laughs> yeah. Cool. One scope <laughs> to rule them all. So I think... So what's your Minox? Is it a 3 to 18? No, it's a 5 to 25, which five is the other. Yeah, a 5 so I would, bush gun. Would, yeah. Yeah, I would go something in the 3 to 15, 3 to 18 range. Um, first focal plane, ideally. And, yeah, you know, your tactical, tactile um, elevation and windage adjustments. If it's going to be used for a bush gun as well, then you know locking windage would be great. Um, maybe even uh, locking elevation. Um, I think the one, I think the scope I'm probably describing is the Vortex Razor LHT three to fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I've got on my hunting yeah. new hunting so rifle. Second focal plane, but I think they're coming out with the first focal plane one. Um, but I reckon. Yeah, if it was first focal plane, MRAD, you could quite easily do everything. I um, It's a really cool question, actually, because there are scopes. You mentioned a kind of a hybrid scope before, so it's a, it's a, mm. it's a great question. I mean, what's more important to you? You go for the more longer-range stuff when you're adding weight, you're adding bigger turrets, you're adding all that sort of stuff, which generally hunters don't want. So yep. you are kind of sitting in the middle there. Now, for me, I only have experience using other people's ones, but I'm thinking something along the lines of the Suaro Z5-ish series because they have a, a very simple dial system where you can use those colored dots for you. You can and adjust them for uh, three, four, five, or six, or whatever you want because they're, they're adjustable. So mm. uh, they have a simple tactile turret system. Um, you can get, a, I think you can get a variety of reticles uh, to match. So if you want to push, it's not going to be great for the long range stuff. I'm not even sure the turrets will will uh, be suitable because they are kind of low profile as far as I remember. But there's, there's a few, there's a few tricks. 
There's a few tricks which I've written articles about in regards to those Z5s about how much you can actually dial out of them. So, um, but there's actually scopes above the Z5s which do stuff as well. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. But it's a happy medium. It's a ha- yeah. that, that strikes me as a happy medium. And I think well, it's a happy medium, but I can hear that you're, you've got your priority is slightly heavier in the hunting side of things, oh, comp side of things, which is why it's interesting hearing yeah. having you here with a different answer. Sure. Um, Ian? Uh, yeah, easy for me. It'll be a um, NX8 2.5-20 F1. You can shoot comps all day with that. And you can hunt with that too, because when you crank it down to the load magnification, which I've done in previous, you can go into the bush and just hit the illuminator and you're on two and a half pounds, there's like a little red cross in there. Mm. You can shoot with both eyes open up to about six or seven power. There's just like a sort of like a red dot. And yep. then as you as you zoom in more, you know, once you're getting into more open country or taking a longer shot, you zoom in more and the reticle expands and comes to you. And then you can comfortably still hunt out to 600 and beyond on the high magnification. So that, for me, just does everything. I'd be just as comfortable shooting a comp and just as comfortable hunt, hunting if I had to just have one scope. For that one, though, I'll ask, yep. say if you, probably not your style of hunting, I'm not sure, but say those big scrappy hunts in the Ruahinis where you're really knocking your scope around and sliding down muddy banks. Would you be happy with that the 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 um the expense? Because for me, you know, if I'm doing that kind of hunting, it's uh, I don't want my expensive glass in that situation. Basically, is all I'm saying. Uh, but, I'm more I'm more inclined to take my more expensive stuff and bash it around like that because I know it's not going to it's not going to fail. Yeah. So I'll slide down screw scopes, just have the caps closed, whatever. Doing it and bash it up, it doesn't actually worry me. It's that I know that it's going to hold at zero and the quality of it's is all I'm worried about and really not how, yeah, I treat them rough. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's an interesting, and I, I, uh, maybe it's a difference between the Swarrows and some of the higher tactical style scopes or stuff, or the, maybe the even military orientated stuff, because we know that those tactical military, they're designed to take a good smack and a whack or something. I know some Swarrows that have gone out after they've taken a good knock, but they're also a lot lighter. I mean, these, yeah, it's the same I used to say with my Vortex. Now with the Minox, guys are like, aren't you worried about damaging it or banging it or lifting it up by the scope and the rings? It's like, well, I've spent this much on my scope. I've spent this much on my rings. No, I don't worry too much about picking the whole thing up by the scope because I know it's not shifting. That's what I've paid the money for. It's the... Yeah, I, I've, I, in my case, I've paid the money to, to have a bit of equipment I know can take the occasional bang. Um, I had a guy, has anyone ever seen has seen the new thing coming through, which is the scope caddies or the scope covers? They're just like a, or scope cozies. They go on the front of your scope, wrap around the bell, and they give you some more Velcro stuff, and they just protect the bell of your scope? Yeah. Yep. So he's like, oh, well, you mean hey. I get your scope scratched? I'm like, I don't really care about my scope getting scratched. I've kind of, it's not really my worry. I'm about jam stickers and paint and stuff on it anyway. I'm not that worried about it. But to me, I said, I'm cool. It's another place I could put patches on because everyone knows I love my patches. But I don't know. It's accessorizing your scope where maybe I, you don't need to. These, these things are tools. You need to go give them a good bang. It's like a new car. Go put a dent in it and then you don't worry about it anymore. So, yeah. I would be more worried about the guys with the cheapest 
rings and a scope or a higher end scope and then they skimp out on the rings that's a bad combination for banging around in the bush with um or a cheap scope and cheap rings that takes a knock then yeah i'd be checking my gun was re-zero but you know i've taken divots out of trees with the old vortex and the thing still shot pretty straight so yeah what well, well, controversial question and i'll throw it out there where would you guys stand on the number of uh, digital, well, what would you call them, computerised scopes, I guess, that kind of, uh, what did we try? We tried the Suaro DS. Suaro you DS. Know, does it, it's, it's, uh, they have Eliminator 3, Eliminator 4, Steiner, the MX7, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I don't think we've seen. It's a slightly different beast, but yeah. Yeah. From my perspective, I, I just, I see people buying them and this is not I don't, I don't want to be too negative to people out there I, you know i want i want people to get shooting go <laughs> hunting too, get, if we need more people doing it yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah sometimes i see people buying them and i think you there, there's something that you buy later on once you've learned all the stuff and you've really got to grips with all these different kinds of things and they're kind of skipping that that uh that knowledge base that's just my personal opinion though Happy, happy to discuss with you guys. I've got a thought. It's slightly long-winded. So either of you two lads have something you want to contribute because I've gone through a few of them. I get the point, and I've seen all the eliminators, and glass quality is terrible. The dot size is huge. The post thickness, I mean, they've probably eliminated four is not as bad. Um, see out quite a few Suaros for guys, and... Yeah, pretty pretty impressive. Quite like the way it works, but a big scope, a heavy scope, you've got an electronic system that could give you problems if you're wearing that way. And just in general, I just didn't like the every time you went to shoot with it, you're holding over. You're not looking at the center into the center of the scope. Um, but I get it, and some people just want to shortcut that and just go straight to one system does all, you know, range finds for you, gives you a holdover mark and shoot. But um, it's good for someone to maybe learn before they go straight there, but I, I get it. If you've got the money and you want to go straight there, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's fair enough. Um, honestly, I'm just a pretty late adopter on most technological things and I'm pretty cheap too. So I know if, if I buy some fancy digital scope, it's going to shit out on a house. <laughs> I'm not going to have a good time. So I'll stay out of this conversation. Uh, yeah. Um, much as uh, three, the, the Eliminator 3, yeah, the glass on it was horrific, but it was a cool gizmo-y idea that you could, you know, guys loved it. I can range and just hold over. And for guys, I would swear it hit anything, but the glass was always painful. The four is better, but yeah, as you said, the subtensions. And the other thing, which we didn't mention, but I thought it also is included is in there are some of the SIGs because some of the SIGs will do it as well. And the SIGs I've looked through, again, when you didn't have that range finding going, because the electronics were in the reticle, the reticle was really, really thick. So if you didn't have the elevator, if you didn't use the electronics, the reticle to me was just like horrible. It was just too thick for anything. Um, but, you know, so the, the DSs, yeah, I've, I've set a few of those up. The funny thing is with the DSs, the glass is better because it's swore a glass. It's, they're a little bit, they're, they're darker than, say, the Z5 of the same size. Yeah. They are just a little bit darker. Actually, a, a mate of mine, uh, Mark, um, yeah, and you would have met Mark, um, Andrews? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 
So he set up, I think it was a six scope, um, set it up on a six five Grendel um, for his wife. And it was, um, he used the rangefinder and set it up for the range of the targets that he had set up. Um, so she could go out first time on the gun, get hits out on several targets after whatever it was, 500 meters. But it's, I mean, it's not the way I would choose to personally shoot because I've got other things that do that, um, other methods and tools. But it's certainly got a place. I mean, she had a great time and she wants to get into shooting, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah valid use for it. Have you um, had a look through the DS2, David? No, it was the it was the original DS that we looked through, and I I don't come across them that often. And the right. same the same as you, I was, I was very impressed by the what it could do. I liked it, you know, but I just thought, you know, it, I don't know, it probably rankle a few people that have them, but it just seemed like cheating to me. I just it just yeah. seemed like cheating. So yeah, so the other thing I, I found with them, as I set them up, is they actually work out to about five or six hundred meters. So guys, because because of the dot goes down, as the further you go out, you've got to hold. And I found with some of them, unless you started zooming out, you had to yeah, zoom yeah. out to see the dots, right? So the further you shoot, the further you have to zoom out, which is not necessarily what you want to do. So guys were turning up with seven rem mags and these cannons, and they wanted to shoot far, and you're like. Yeah, but the system's not really going to do it. So really, it's a, it's an awesome. So I, I had a client who who bought a, it was a beautiful combination. It was a deer gun. You know, it was to go hunting deer on the back of his farm from three to 400 meters. I'm like, okay, it's kind of overkill. It was on a carbon light, so the scope was heavier than the gun, which was its first issue. It wanted to turn upside down all the time because it was just so top heavy. But it was a great for what he wanted to do was point and shoot, and he was getting into it, and he he wasn't necessarily. So I, I think the thing is, so guys get them because they want to just be able to go out, ping the targets, and shoot a target, which is fine. You don't want to learn all the 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 technicalities on it. The caution I would have then is the attitude of looking for a shortcut so I can shoot further, is possibly not the right approach if we want to stay ethical and moral hunters. It's just my thing I'm going to put out there. It's like, yes, it's a shortcut. It's awesome. But, you know, so so anyway, we set this up. He had other guns. At the time, he was learning more about long-range shooting. And then not long after, he came back and said, all right, I want you to swap it over. And he got a, not the Z5, I think it was the X5. So the high-end Swara, beautiful, beautiful scopes. And he said, I've realized that I want to learn about the mechanisms of dialing and understanding the range and the ballistics. So I become a more knowledgeable shooter about it. I'm like, sweet, easy, sold. And, and he's done that. And I don't think he's any slower or anything, but now he actually understands how the gun's working. He can get onto any gun that dials and mill MOA. It's, it's a transferable skill. So you know, if it's if it's the the guiding gun or something that the person shooting, you know, want you, you want someone who wants to shoot further but doesn't want the skill set to go underneath it. Yep, it will do it for it. Um, I don't know. I yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, man. But like you said, David, I, if that's what's going to get a guy into it, or Jeff said, if that's what gets somebody's into shooting and then they get the bug, fine. I don't I don't really mind. I I just caution people to not think there's a shortcut to shooting animals at longer range. I don't care if you're shooting at targets, it's different, but please don't get a DS, get me to zero, and then go shoot at 500 metres straight away because there's more to the picture than that. Yeah, that's the thing is that wind kills those things that people yep. get 
Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's five hundred. That's five hundred. Good, and they just if you don't learn the skill about the window, understand it. It's like, oh yeah, five hundred point and shoot, and they hit in the ass, or they miss it by two meters, or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. So yeah. So I, I you know, and uh, the other thing I was going to say as well though is technology. That that technology is improving, and that's cool. And you know, we've there was a rumor floating around, which is a slight deviation. There's a rumor floating around a while ago. Um, was it sick? No, it was. Was a company who was a company that had the rangefinder system that had the Doppler radar in it that was giving wind corrections as well. Sig, there's somebody who's done one that's it's limited to four or five hundred meters, but it actually gives you a wind call based on Doppler. I want to say it was Sig. Might yeah, I sick. think it was Sig. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's been floating around for a while. That's going to end up in a scope eventually. These things will just, some form of it will start feeding more. The electro optics will start coming more into guns and, and bits and pieces. So in another, I don't know, how put it this way, a couple of years ago, the idea of us shooting off tripods would have been laughable. But I mean, <laughs> we're going to shoot off a, a camera tripod. I mean, who would do, you know, so, hey, the, the stuff will change. I was going to say something about when we started this conversation about the one gun to do it all. The, one of the <coughs> things that has changed a bit, which has made this um, a lot more a, a potential or viable, Trigicon. There we go. That's right. It was a Trigicon. Um, yeah, it was. The um, is the reticle design has caught up from um, there being so many first focal planes around, and um, that's that's been the change because originally when the first focal planes came through and we had these reticles, when you zoomed them out, they were so tiny you couldn't see anything, and or if you zoomed them in, they were so big and blocky, it was her- horrific. Might be back off. The, oh, no, there we go. Um, but now they're kind of getting this head around this notion of a first focal plane has to work zoomed all the way out and zoomed all the way back in, so we get these really smart designs for these things. Here you go. I managed to get the thought off. There we go. Right, there we go. Good, excellent. <laughs> um, right, what else we got? So, yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on, on reticles? I mean, what is there sort of a reticle design or some a change in reticles you guys would like to see? Is there anything that's missing in reticles that you reckon would, would kind of revolutionize or be the game changer for stuff? Not for me. Everything I've got... It's all, it's all there, so yeah. It's, it's all incremental. I don't know if there's m- many game changers left to be had in radical design. Yeah, I, I think probably the only thing I would like, and it's not even something I would even really use that often, is so a lot of your your first focal plane MRAD scopes and whatever they'll have point ones right at the end of, of your windage and elevation, so you can use that to. You know, accurately mill something and, and figure out how big it is, uh, which is not something I do super often. Um, but to have to be all the way at the edge of your scope to do that is a bit annoying. Um, mm-hmm. So if it was maybe somewhere in the middle of your windage, because you're not really holding windage out all that way anyway, um, might be a bit more of a useful place for it. Um, that's probably about the only thing that I can think of. Mm. What well, uh, the thing I. I don't know if it'll ever be done. I don't really know if it has been done. I know it's been done for military scopes and it's been used for, for military optics for quite a while now. And there's some really snazzy ones. Uh, the Kiwi Army is using some at the moment. And that's that the reticule is, is specifically for a certain caliber. You're firing a certain projectile at a certain speed. 
And so everything lines up or it should be near enough no matter what uh, platform they're using. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if you could buy your Loophole VX3 and say, I'm firing this fast with this weight projectile and, uh, you know, and then, and then they would itch potentially a, a holdover reticle suited to that. I don't think it has a complicate, uh, competition application because competition reticles are already fine-tuned enough to be able to, um, you know, suited to competitions. But definitely for a, a out to four, five, six hundred meter um, uh, hunting or PRS, even even scope. It's an interesting thing. I'm not sure mm. if they ever do it or if they've done it before on the commercial market, but that's the only thing that popped into my head anyway. Well, who knows that the game changer may be somebody who figures out how to make and there'll be pushback because it's digital, but a, a, a digital reticle or something where you can just switch the reticle in the system. You know, I, I think of like the Swaro spotting, the high, the high end Swaro spotting scopes where it's a digit, you can't change a reticle, but you can turn the whole reticle on or off, you know, and a system like that where you can change what the actual reticle is within the system. You better um, copyright that, mate. That's going to be stolen by a big corporation. You're going to miss out on millions. Ah, already no. noting it down. Great ideas, but no way of making them happen, man. It's, you know, it's a uh, was it ideas are the multiplier of execution. There you go. I think it's the yeah. Um, I I would like to have a play. I don't know if it'd work into assist or anything, but there's the the Steiner MX7, which is similar to the DSs and the SIGs, and then it's a electric, electric, electronically augmented reticle, right? So you can have distances in there you can have um, environmentals and bits and pieces in there and you can change so this is getting to starting to head towards you can change the data that's actually displayed on the screen it's like a heads up um, display carry pretty like much a yeah like it's a, incorporating like a, yeah. a heads up display into a scope um and that's kind of beginning on that thing again the <clears throat> you know the if I could have a system which I could, and there's scopes around like the SIGs and stuff, do it. But if I could have a system that I could tell it the distance or ping it and it gave me a correction in the scope, maybe not a holdover, but just told me I need to dial 2.7 in the scope. So I just lean over. And that's sort of where these things are, are heading towards. I think on this one, you can set it up and basically dial at the top and it tells you what meterage you're effectively dialing to, right? So if you know you're shooting to 670, you dial to your C670 mm -hmm. on the, the number up there which is based on ballistics that are being actually generated in the computer using environmentals and everything. So I can see that can be a lot of fun. But at the same time, all of that going through my head while I'm wobbly on a barricade trying to shoot three, it's not going to necessarily help my competition shooting. But from a technology point of view, yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun to play with. And that's where I'd say more of them are going to end up that way, you know, so... The electronics are coming, whether we'd like it or not. I think they are. They'll, they'll end up more and more in scopes. Um, but hopefully they just figure it out, um, yeah, how how it's going to be actually useful for us, not just putting stuff in it. Yeah. Well, we'll probably, get my Facebook comments coming up in my scope so I can catch up on those while I'm uh, shooting. We'll, we'll probably end up on the hill quite confused and having to call up some younger relative uh, some yeah. twelve-year-old to ask ask them how our scope works and these ones. They'll be yeah, telling me I'll be ringing the vanguard. Oh, I can't, I can't. Have you tried rebooting your scope, Dad? <laughs> but that's probably it's probably the the death of radical innovation because the electronics 
and, and stuff, those are aids. It's not the radical design changing, right? Mm. Um, and there's going to be no need for it to change if, if your windage and your elevation and all your bits and pieces are getting done for you and pinpointed for you or read out to you or, or Instagram to you or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah maybe, maybe we're at peak radical design. <laughs> and then we'll have a resurgence as people go all retro and go back to non-electronic. Oh, heck yeah. Like, oh, I'm shooting an analog reticle again. He's <laughs> fancy. Yeah. Which is what happens with so many things, right? The, the technology pushes, 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 then someone goes, we've gone too far, we've forgotten the basics, and they get back to it. And then they bring back little elements that were that were useful back into it, and you get those proper hybrids of the technology coming through. So, yeah. So, Anything to add on the thoughts of reticles, gentlemen? Considering we've actually focused on a very, very specific subject, we've managed to talk for like an hour and a half, basically. No, two hours, just specifically on reticles tonight. Very well done, lads. <laughs> cool. All right. So uh, you've got a competition this weekend. You're, you're hunting this weekend. David, what are you up to this weekend? Uh, we have – no, sorry, not this weekend. We're, we've got a hunting course for – Beginner taking veterans hunting, basically. Oh, excellent! Which taking, I want to catch up and talk. We still, I still need to catch up, and that's what I want to talk to you about as a separate thing for the the good blokes podcast. Ian, you're off. It is Taranaki. Yep. yep, for the twenty two shoot. So pretty excited about that. And then the following weekend, it's um, Boundary Creek PRS and Sparrowhawk twenty two PRS on the Sunday. So two days down south. The following weekend, so um, nice. haven't shot a comp for a little while, so looking forward to it. And um, me and Jeff will be looking forward to being able to buy takeaways again. Oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jeff, you would have been coming down otherwise. There? Yep, yep. Uh, Amanda and I were going to be coming down, so um, there was another 22 shoot up here that's also been shifted out. So I think my next shoot is uh, I'll probably get out for a Level three private land hunt next weekend. Yeah. Uh, if I can swing it. And then my next actual shoot will be Fata Fata Rifle Club in Hamilton's got a long range expo. Um, not entirely sure what it's going to be like. It'll be interesting. Electronic targets and stuff. Um, that's on the 30th of October. And then Tarata will be the next um, next thing in, a, in our usual calendars. Mm. Cool. Cool. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. I am going going to wrangle small children and uh, I hope you guys will have a good evening as well. Cheers, yeah. guys. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, See ya.